Heather Langenkamp, and you're listening to Geeks of the Industry. Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to witness some scenes from the next attraction to play this. This picture, truly one of the most unusual ever filmed, contains scenes which under no circumstances should be viewed by anyone with a heart condition or anyone who is easily We urgently recommend that if you are such a person or the parent of a young or impressionable child now in attendance, that you and the child leave the auditorium for the next... Features, a horror discussion from geeksoftheindustry.com. And now your host, Chunky Larry. Greetings, fellow insomniacs, and welcome to a very special edition of the Creature Features Podcast on geeksoftheindustry.com. I am your host, my name is Chunky Larry, and one of the films that captured my imagination in the early portion of my love for cinema, specifically horror cinema, was a gritty and violent film by the name of The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it's it's one of those films that manages to, with very little, do so much and say so much. So much so that it's spanned over 40 years and has, you know, found a new audience with every generation. Did I ever think in my entire, you know, career when I went into podcasting that I would be able to speak with one of the actors that were responsible for such a groundbreaking and landmark film? Absolutely not. But that is the pleasure that I have today. I am going to be speaking with someone that is synonymous with the the film um, specifically one moment that really grabs people and leaves them hanging in suspense uh, I'm of course talking about Pam herself Miss Terry McMahon how are you doing today hi Larry thanks so much for your kind words uh, you know uh, I, I can't even begin to tell you Terry how much this film specifically is one of those movies that you know because there there are the there are the Freddies and the Jasons and you know Pinhead and all of these things but but there are very few films I, I would say maybe a handful that I could count on one hand that really gutturally get to you and I, I you know the two that come to mind are Last House on the Left and this film and it, there's there's something to be said about 
just kind of the gritty kind of texture and atmosphere of the film. And, you know, everything that has to do with the performances. And for a film that is, you know, very... It, it, it feels like it was shot on Super 8. And it almost has a snuff film quality to it. Uh, so much so that it had become one of the video nasties. It was, you know, banned in all of these places. And it, it is an unsettling film to watch. But I think that the strength of that isn't necessarily... I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, visually, the way that the movie is shot and everything, um, you know, lends to that. But I believe that, you know, more often than not, it's the performances in the film that really drive those images home. Um, you know, that an image can be an image, but it's the emotion and the heart that's put into that image that really is what stands the test of time. Because technology changes and we're able to you know get a prettier picture but it doesn't it doesn't touch you on an emotional level like like true art does and you know i think that the art of that film is in the performances so i i, I kind of want to because i feel like that moment in time specifically for that film is kind of the catalyst for you know things that happen in your life you know, following it, and that, you know, your life was kind of working its way to that catalyst point. So I want to kind of get to that point, and then, you know, go from that point. So basically what I'm saying is, um, when was the first time that you were motivated to perform? Well, I was performing from the time I was about 12. And so, um, all through junior high, I studied and took classes, and then um, when I was around, oh, I guess I was about 14, going into high school my first year, um, we had a speech class, and I did a, a speech on the death of Medgar Evers, mm. it had just happened, and um, he was killed, shot in front of his children, in front of their home. And he was a very dynamic civil rights worker, and I was extremely um, um, passionate about changing civil rights. Um, I lived in Texas, and um, you know, I was I saw racism in its raw form firsthand. So um, when I finished this uh, speech I did, um, there were about 15 people in the class, and there were tears in the eyes across the room, and my uh, speech teacher came up to me with tears rolling down her face, and she said, have you ever thought of going into acting? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, since I was like three, you know. <laughs> so you always kind so, of considered yourself kind of like uh, like an extrovert, would you say? Well, um, I wouldn't say that. Um, I would say that you know, a lot of actors are kind of shy, and I think when I was a kid, um, I had two brothers that had cystic fibrosis, so there was a tragedy going on at home, so I would escape from all of that and watch movies all the time, you know, and I, I think I was just drawn to theater, and so I was drawn to everything was beautiful at the ballet, you know, just trying to 
find some joy, and I found joy in acting. So, um, and of course, when you experience a lot of trauma in your childhood, you, um, you know, you experience people at their worst and their best, and, and you, um, you learn a lot about human nature. So, um, I had a front row seat, you know, to some of the most dramatic things that happened to families. Mm. And um, I put it to good use, you know, as I went along. And I really enjoyed communicating um, my feelings with people and um, persuading them to think about things. That, that's, that's why I got into it, I, I believe. And do you, because I always, whenever I talk to somebody that's, you know, performed in theater, I'm, I'm always very curious about technique and, you know, the actor's approach to something. And, you know, a lot of the times when you're performing a character, it's not necessarily something that exists within your wheelhouse, per se. Like, you know, I, I'm sure that you never, you know, would put on the meat but <laughs> or, or anything, you know, to that effect, but you have to, you have to find that emotional reality of what that is. And are you, Well, we've do you, all been afraid, though. Yeah, and we've that's what I'm afraid. saying is, you know, is there, yeah. is there some kind of technique that you implement to put yourself in a mental place to convey the emotions that don't, that are not necessarily familiar to you, that could be considered alien almost? Um, pretty much what I do uh, is very simple. I just relate to the situation and to um, the feelings that I might have. So, you know, I, I didn't really have to do a lot of um, research because I know how it is to be afraid. I knew then, you know, um, and certainly I could, you know, suspend my imagination into how I might feel if I were being chased by someone that looked like Leatherface and um, there was a chainsaw nearby. So really, I, I you know, I, I would tell you that it was just naturalism. So, you know, it's not very complex, it's not Stanislavski or yeah. anything. Um, but I had studied, I had done plays for years. In fact, they cast me because they saw my picture in the paper from doing a play with a man called Frank Sutton. And um, he actually, I just saw, he was in a, a famous movie that was done way before your time. It was, I think it was around 1963. It was called The Town Without Pity. And it's, um, they played the song in it way too much, but the song was um, very famous. And, and uh, Frank Sutton was also, um, he, he was one of the four men who raped a young German girl. They were all soldiers. And mm -hmm. I did not know he had done that film, but it really, I saw it when I was too young to see something like that. Because I honestly, I wasn't quite, that aware at 12 years old exactly what happened, you know. Um, that's that's kind of how it is with um, me and Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> it, 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 it has that so, very yeah. circular kind of thing going on. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Right. Well, anyway, 
Frank Sutton, uh, I knew him better because he had done a, a show, a series called um, Gopher Pile. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, it was, you remember, sort of? And yeah, it, oh, yeah. It, it was only about three years, but it was a big hit, you know, for that time. And um, he was the sergeant that always yelled, Kyle, get over here, you know. And so I was doing a play with him at um, the Mary Moody Northern Theater at St. Edward's University. And um, there was a picture of me in the paper, and I'm, I'm kind of on my knees reviewing a dead body with a priest, a guy who's playing a priest beside me and Frank Sutton. And my eyes are closed, you know, they, they snapped it when my eyes were closed. It's probably one of the worst pictures in the world, uh, you know. But anyway, that's the picture they saw in the newspaper. And um, I found out 35 years later that they had been to the University of Houston Drama Department, to the Rice Drama Department, to the SMU, Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Uh, they had been to UT. They'd seen all of the females there. And I, I was told it was around 500 women that they had interviewed or whatever. And um, I ended up getting the role. They saw me in Austin just, gosh, a week or so before they were going to start filming. They hadn't passed my part. So I read for them, and I was a very serious stage actress. And at that time, um, things were totally different. There was no cable. You know, you had six or eight stations total on your TV. Um, there was uh, films like The Blob had been out, um, mm. or that was with Steve McQueen. Yeah. Um, but horror was, you know, considered B. You were doing a B film, and um, there was a lot of exploitation in it. They weren't normally union. They were usually independent, which was a nasty word back then. They were called scab, S-C-A-B, scab, like a scab on your you know, leg or something, mm -hmm. um, sore healing. And so, you know, the connotation was, was not... Um, Helen Hayes, or, uh, you know... Um, it wasn't a launching pad for young actresses. No. They, they were no, essentially kind of typecast at that point. Right, right. And so I, uh, a friend of mine, though, persuaded me, said, Ah, oh, Terry, go ahead. Why don't you do it, you know? And so I went ahead. I had done my first reading, and, and I called them. I called um, Kim Hinkle, who was the writer, mm -hmm. co-writer with Toby, and um, I said, you know, I've thought about it, and I'd really like to do your film, which was, I was acting. <laughs> and um, they said, well, okay, Terry, why don't you come in tonight and wear some short shorts? And I thought... Oh. Wait, hold on. <laughs> they said wear short shorts? <laughs> what, what, is, what do short shorts have to do with, with performance? Or did well, they, they just wanted to see how you would look visually on screen? They intended me, the Pam, to be in short shorts. Mm -hmm. They intended that. So they wanted to see how I looked in short shorts. 
I didn't know exactly why they wanted me to wear short shorts, but I put on my little white short shorts with embroidered flowers going up the side and my pink knit top, and um, I rode my bicycle about 12 blocks over to the apartment complex where they were reading us. And um, anyway, I read for them, and um, they said, well, you know, would you like to do this role? I don't even remember what I read for them. Probably some of that... The psychic um, stuff with the yeah, astrology? Some, maybe, maybe some of that, you know. Um, but anyway... And um, what, was your, what was your early interpretation when you walk in and you're in your little white short shorts and your pink top, and you're you're walking into this room, and Kim and Toby are sitting there, and you're reading this. Do they do they strike you as? Well, there were there were about five or six people in the room. Um, they were nice, but there was no sitting around talking, chit chatting, or any of that. It was just basically I read for them. You know, I, I took the script and they told me a little bit about it, but not even a whole lot. I, I really did not have my mind wrapped around any of it. You know, it was, it was very vague at that point, Mm -hmm. but what, whatever it was, they liked what I did and so they cast me. But honestly, I had no clue what it was all about. I don't even know if they told me about a meat hook at that point. They may have, but I don't think I would have registered, you know. I probably, if they had said, remember when Rod Steiger was hung on that meat hook and, you know, Marlon Brando (laughs) was in the car with his brother. You know, maybe I would have kind of understood, but honestly, I didn't even, you know, I had no idea. And they never mentioned that he had a, a chainsaw. <laughs> so you were only that. given, like, sides to come in and read? Uh-huh. You didn't have, like, I was like just a... a young actor, and, you know, I was good at doing cold readings, and so, you know, that was my, um, that was my moment. <laughs> so you, you get and, the part, um, and you're, mm-hmm. you're excited because you're going to be a part of a motion picture. I, I'd assume that you're excited. Um, you know, I mean, it's... it's... Yeah, I can't assume much. I was apprehensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, very adventurous, um, and I was much more so at that time. And um, so I, I was committed to doing it. It was my first film role. So, I, you know, I just was basically flying by the seat of my pants. Short, short. And, yeah. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so basically, I just said, okay, you know, going to go with this thing. And um, about a week later, we were um, sitting out in Round Rock, Texas, about 15 miles from where I lived in Central Austin. I lived right by UP. Mm-hmm. And um, um, I drove a motorcycle at the time, and they did not want me riding my motorcycle at all. Um, in fact, they, they said when I signed my contract, um, the first contract, 
um, before they ran out of money two weeks later and we signed a second contract. Um, they had me say I would not ride my motorcycle. So they uh, came to pick me up every morning and took me home every evening. And was that like a PA or was it one of one of the two? It was Kim. 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 Mm-hmm. Kim Pinkle. And that was just out of like a safety thing. They didn't want you to injure yourself and then they weren't able to finish their film. Right. Well, they needed to get me out to the set every day and they did not want me riding my motorcycle and I had no car. So, mm-hmm. you know, they had to provide transportation. Now, you get on the set and up, it's clearly a, an independent film. So there's a lot of... And this is just me making an assumption. Uh, while working on something like the scene in the van, where you know it's your full cast, and then a camera operator is the director in the van with you guys. Is yeah, there was. Yeah, we had um, a sound man. We had uh, Daniel, the photographer, cinematographer, and we had Toby in the van, and uh, then we had the five of us so you have eight people in a van it sounds and really crowded especially up. with the camera and it's 95 to 98 degrees outside and if you'll notice all of those were shot in high sun mm-hmm. so you know there's no shade anywhere um, and we're shooting film we're shooting 16 millimeter film there's no digital at that time. Yeah, so, so it's set up time and lighting, and you're a slave to that lighting. And well, there, there really was no lighting in the van. That was all natural lighting. Okay. So thank God for that. Um, but at any rate, you go sit outside in a closed car in 98-degree weather, and you sit in there for, oh, 13 to 15, 20 minutes, and tell me how you feel. Yeah, no, firemen would break a window open <laughs> if you were sitting in a closed car like that. Right, right. This is why people are arrested and yeah. charged <laughs> with felony pet and child abuse, you know? So, <laughs> all I can tell you is we did those scenes for almost four days, three and a half days. And um, every time that we would stop and they would open the doors of the van, it was like... You know, we would just fall out of the van and be happy that we were still alive. <laughs> I, I can only imagine. that It seems like that's a, a, a very just arduous shooting. Uh, and, and there's... It seems like that was kind of a reoccurring theme on the project, is that, you know, because of the location of the shoot... And because it was done independently, the the creature comforts that you, uh, you know, just as, you know, somebody that knows or, you know, hears stories about, you know, filming sets, you well, know that I'll give there's you like one detail, Larry. Okay. I'll give you one detail, Larry. It'll help you. We had no chairs to sit in the first five days that we were filming. Um, not out on the set. Now, there's a shot of us all sitting in the house where Sally's, the Hardesty's house, in the bottom, mm-hmm. um, in some chairs. 
but I don't know where those chairs were because when we walked across the street to the other house where we filmed, you know, where Leatherface lived, um, I remember that we would take turns. The, the porch had the swing at mm-hmm. that time. The swing wasn't removed and they built the frame for it to the yard until later, right? Mm-hmm. So we would take sitting on the edge of the porch and the steps and in if you were lucky then you got to sit in the swing or there was one hammock <laughs> so <laughs> we would all rotate you know so that was going on now I think after about five days I recall that it seemed to be there were a couple of lawn chairs but I remember um, we would have lunch and Marilyn was um, friends with one of the producers who would mm-hmm. drive up in his white Lincoln Continental. And he had air conditioning. And I remember we were all begrudging Marilyn getting to sit in the air conditioning. <laughs> Just holding your arms across like, your chest. How come Fucking diva. Damn car, you know? <laughs> So that that was the uh, I would say I mean we all got along very well you know I mean Franklin never got out of his Franklin mode and yeah. he stayed cranky all the time but that's just his method acting now if you wanted to talk technique you could have talked to Franklin because that's what he did but Bill and I um, we just decided that since we didn't know. S-H-I-T from Shinola about what was really going on that we were going to make up our uh, character's story. And so we did that. We would do a lot of um, imagining things, you know, who we were, how we got together and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we decided that we were secretly married but that we had not told Sally or Jerry or Franklin because we didn't want our parents to find out that we had done this, you know. So that was just Bill's and my own background together that we came up with. So Bill and I hung out together all the time. Um, Jerry and Sally were there with us. You know, Franklin was off grunting and, you know, doing his all the time. And, um... Lou Perriman was, um, he was the assistant VP, and he was always giving us thumbs up after we'd finished our scenes or something because, you know, we didn't get a lot of feedback from um, anybody else, you know, except some of the crew. And they were great. They were always, hey, that was good. Oh, yeah, I like that. Oh, oh, you know. So Toby didn't really give you a lot of direction as far as acting is going? Um, well, he would tell us basically what he wanted, um, but not a whole lot. I remember uh, one time when we were in the van, and I'd I'd say, ooh, what's that smell? Well, I happen to be one of those people that's just extremely, like I get nauseous if somebody changes a kid's diaper around me, you know? And um, I'm just not really good with odors, you know. Mm. And I remember he told me, he said, don't, don't grimace so much, Terry. You know, it's too much, too much. 
but I noticed when I watched the film, it looked pretty realistic to me. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a very convincing moment. And it, I actually had covered um, <clears throat> the film last year during my uh, Video Nasties theme. And, or no, it was, it doesn't matter. I uh, was talking with my friend uh, who swore up and down when he had originally seen the film that you see you being put on the hook. Uh, but it's, it's again, you know, it's one of those things that they do, you know, kind of like a visual trick that allows you to believe what you're seeing, but you're not actually seeing it. And, it, and again, like I had said, really lies on the performance and, you know, the conveyance of, you know, emotion and everything. And you, you completely buy that moment. You know, it is, it is one of those things that just visually it's striking. And the, the whole scene, like, it's a, it's a piece of art from, and, and I know I've, I've heard stories about you not being too fond of the, the swinging bench and um, that whole moment, but it, it's absolutely yeah. iconic. The the swinging bench and um, that undershot. Oh, you mean when I'm walking up to the house? Yes. You mean the swing? Yes. When I'm walking, when I get up from the swing and walk through the house. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first I'll tell you um, about that, and then I'll tell you about filming the the meat hook scene. Would you like that? Absolutely. Okay, so um, I come out, I'm getting ready because I know we're going to do the approach to the house, you know, and that Kirk's been killed, and I just know he's gone into the house. And so um, I'm Dottie, who was married at that time to Daniel Pearl, the DP, the director of photography, um, our cameraman. Um, Dottie was putting on some makeup on my face. She was mm -hmm. touching it up. And as she was touching it up, I noticed out of the corner of my eye, I saw Daniel crunched underneath the swing with his camera. And I knew that I was supposed to go sit in that swing. And so I asked Dottie, I said, Dottie, why is Daniel crouched under the swing? And she said, oh, I don't know. You know, like she didn't know what was going to happen. And I became right. extremely suspicious. So I asked Toby, I said, Toby, why is Daniel crouched under the swing? These are all, well, you know, we're going to get a close up of you, you know, in the swing and then walking. I said, no, but the camera is underneath the swing. And I knew that I had these short shorts and that my cheeks were like there, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I, at that time, you must read, I'll give you just a little background. Um, two weeks after we began filming, they ran out of money. So we were paid our initial uh, bid, and I, was, I had been paid $700. And that was all. But they ran out of money after seven days or whatever. And so um, they, hadn't, they had barely started the film. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so they called us back in after taking a few days off, and they asked us to sign a contract for points versus uh, on deferred money. 
And this is after they gotten the loan from the mob guys that essentially robbed them blind in the long run? Um, well, I, all they had, I think, to begin with was $40,000. So then they began scrambling to get other money. And um, they did that, but in the interim, that period, after the first 10 days, they asked us to sign the contract for deferred money, which we did. And um, I had been for a year and a half, almost two years, supporting myself, um, paying for my classes at St. Edward's, and uh, waiting tables. Um, and the place is still in Austin, actually, but it's a different name. Uh, but they do karaoke there. <laughs> I, I always wonder if they had any idea that I had worked there, you know. For all, <laughs> they have, they have a pair of so, really short shorts hanging in a frame. <laughs> well, I don't wear those anymore. So, you know, that, that, those days are over, you know. But at any rate, um, so we... Uh, they asked me after we had signed that contract, Ken pulled me aside and said, you know, Jerry, we were thinking of doing uh, for scenes. I was wondering if you'd do some news scenes. Um, we were thinking of having heard of Ken swimming. Is that and why they had that I empty uh, ravine at that moment where you guys were supposed to go swimming? I guess, because I told him absolutely not. <laughs> I was not doing any nude scenes for this damn film. I mean, at that point, you know, who thought it would ever, they did come out of the can at that time, <laughs> you know, that it was film. They put it into film cans. <laughs> you didn't think it would come out of the can. In fact, I was doing the play uh, at the very end of it with Andy Devine. Um, just after they had wrapped my scenes that last week when they're filming Marilyn at the gas station and um, they're doing the dinner scenes, I, I got cast in a local dinner theater play. And um, Andy Devine, who was the stagecoach driver and John Ford's stagecoach film, mm-hmm. um, Andy, he actually starred in around 80 films. He was Roy Rogers. Uh, sidekick jingle in the Roy Rogers series. He was very, very well known. And Andy, I, I was upset because I was I had been offered another role to go on the road, and I negotiated for myself six hundred dollars a week to do Busy in the Rainmaker with Peter Brett, this guy from the Big Valley, who I was doing the play with in Austin, and he had requested that I go on to do it at another dinner theater. And he put me in touch with the, the dinner theater guys, and I told them I wanted 600 a week. And they gave, they offered it to me, you know. Oh, wow. And it would mean I would get my equity card, and you know, I hadn't, I hadn't been able to work because they'd replaced me at the restaurant, mm-hmm. so I couldn't pay my rent. I had no money. All I knew was the deferred money. You know what I mean? Yeah, and but that's that's magic do- money that exists way down the line. So it's, yeah, it's and, like and a, so I told them that I, I told them that I needed to, you know, I wanted to take this role and go on the road with that show. And um, Kim told me that they had, they needed me for a day of pickup shots and voiceovers. And I said, well, pick a day, you know, because I want to go do the show. Mm. And they 
got really nasty and told me, you signed a contract. You're not going to, you know, so I don't know what day it's going to be and you're going to be here, you know. And they just were very, very rude and nasty. And so I missed out on $3,600, which at that time... Today that would be like ten to fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, that's no small amount of change in seventy three. <laughs> like, yeah, so at that all. day when you see that Wikipedia picture of me on the steps, that's me just pissed off. That's that's <laughs> right after that conversation Dad. happened. Jeez. Well it well that's the day we're doing the pickup shot. Yeah. The day that yeah. And it's right around my twenty second birthday and I'm completely flat broke. You know, completely flat broke. And um, so, um, anyway, long story shorter, you know, that all happened. But when I'm going to be sitting in the swing, back to the swing, I'm going to be sitting in that swing. And remember, they've asked me to do these nude shots, you know, Mm -hmm. scenes. And I've said no. And I don't know these people. I've never worked. You know, I didn't know them. I'd only known them, I'd got to the set, and, you know, I did not know these people. So I did not trust them. You know? Yeah, you're especially apprehensive of they... anything that they're trying to do, especially because they had you go to your uh, your casting in short shorts. <laughs> like, so right. there, there's already this really suit. kind of skeevy thing going on. Yeah, I mean, it, and also, remember, those were my short shorts. They had been jeans that I had tucked into little boots to ride my motorcycle in the winter, but it was now summer, and I was too broke to buy any shorts, so I had cut the, sh- the, the, the pants off, and the backless bathing suit I bought at the very same um, shopping center um, in a store near the Sears where Toby came up with the idea for Chainsaw, which I found out 35 years later. I didn't know that, you know... So he probably came up with the idea about the time I was buying that swimsuit at the nearby Bell store. He was in the <laughs> Sears store. So um, that'll be in the book. But anyway, um, so they have, they want me to go sit in the swing with these short shorts, and Daniel's 10, 12 inches from my, you know, sitting in the swing, mm-hmm. my seat, my butt. And um, so before I went over there, I proceeded to tell Toby I was not going to do it. I was not going to do it. No way. Uh-uh. No way. You're not going to do that, you know. And so we argued for 15, 20 minutes, whatever amount of time. And finally, Toby said, oh, God damn it, Toby. I mean, God damn it, Terry. He said, we're just going to shoot around it. Don't worry. And, you know, they did. They shot all around my butt. <laughs> and so i was i was totally worried you know going to see it for the first time in tomball texas at a a kids matinee and my nephew's running around the audience you know telling people that's my aunt that's my aunt aunt." (laughs) i I threatened his life if he told anyone because i hadn't seen my you know i didn't know and when I saw my cheeks get out of that swing in Cinemascope and, and Technicolor, widescreen, whatever, <laughs> oh, my God, you know, all, I, I don't even remember the music <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, I, was, I mean, I know that you were apprehensive of doing it, but 
you know, not even from like a sleazy place. That is easily one of my favorite shots in cinema, like of all time. It it just there's something that really like, and I think I had said this when we were reviewing the film. It feels almost as if there's this force pushing you towards your destiny, and yeah, you know, yeah. that's that's very like visually complex, you know, while being very subtle and kind of nuanced and, and simplistic in in its approach and it's just it's a very vivid moment. And Well I'm you know, fine about it now. You know? In yeah. fact when I came out thirty five years later in two thousand and eight, going to Monster Mania, I remember the guy that was representing me at the time said I said, you know, we don't really need to talk about the red shorts or anything. You know, there's just no reason to really talk about it much, and blah, 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 blah. And um, so we could concentrate more on the meat hook stuff and, you know, I, I guess, you know, violence more than the... And he said, you, Terry, those scenes are taught in directing and acting classes across the world. Yeah. And I Really? I had no, I had no, I had always beaten myself up telling myself, if only you could have been better in the film, if only you could have done, you know, like most actors do. Yeah. And um, so that was the reason I really didn't want to come out bad and that, you know, we barely got any residuals because the final, you know, after years and years and years and years, and it was doing, you know, it finally started doing very well and they were raking in millions. I mean, I was sitting at Rod Steiger's dinner table, and he said his kids wouldn't quit talking about it, and it just made him so mad, because um, <laughs> we'd both been on meat hooks, and all his kids would do, you know how kids are, they just want to get back at their parents, mm -hmm. you know, and they probably knew that it would make him mad, because he had, he had a big ego, Rod had a big ego, you know, and... Um, my date said to Rod, you know, you and Terry have a lot in common. She, you know, she was on a meetup too. And his kids went off the wire. They'd been living in London with their mom, Claire Bloom. And they said, oh, you queued up around the corner watching, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Before it was, you know, nicked. I mean, they, they took it off because it was banned, yeah. you know, soon after it had opened. And anyway, um, it was just kind of funny, but after I found out that they taught it in directing classes and I snuck onto YouTube, I was just kind of getting onto the computer and, you know, all that stuff, and I Googled myself, praying that nobody could tell I was Googling myself, you know, <laughs> and I saw these comments, and I watched my scenes a few times, and I went, well, dang, Terry, it's not so bad, you know, and I... I quit beating myself up, and then somebody said, well, you know, you're on Wikipedia. And I said, oh, please, you've got to be kidding me. And I went to Wikipedia, and there I was. And I had never seen the shot of me on the steps, and it just brought it all back. It was like I remembered that day, and Sally, the assistant director, Toby's uh, friend, saw me just looking so upset and I was just about to cry you know when she took that shot of me and I had my head in my hands and she said Terry look over here and I just looked her way kept my hands head in my hands 
Mm. And she snapped that shot. And I'll never forget that moment. You know what I mean? It's yeah, it's, it's like the end of The Terminator. You know, that photo that John Connor holds on to, and you're like, what was she thinking? And, you know, then yeah. you get to that point. And that, that's really cool. Yeah. And also, you wanted to know about the meat hook scene, right? Yes. Okay. So, um, the day before we were going to shoot the meat hook scene, um, Toby said, Jerry, I've been wondering, what do you think? Uh, have you thought about the meat hook scene? Or what you'll do? You know, what would you do? I said, well, you know, Toby, I have. And what I thought is that um, if I were kind you know, put on a meat hook, and it didn't hit me in a strategic part of my back that I might try and get off the mm. music. And he said, yeah, try that. So that's what we did. We went with it. And we started early in the morning, probably around 9. And um, by noon, when Sally uh, had Nikolai's wife and their three-year-old daughter came um, with lunch, Everybody was there, you know. Um, people had come to see the music being shot, but there were about 20 people, mm-hmm. including Sally and her three-year-old. I remember after we finished the scene, it was quiet. I mean, everyone was really like, wow. You know, they were mind-boggled about this scene. And it felt that day like maybe we had something, you know, it just kind of all of us everything kind of came together it seemed like to me and, no, um, I had read that uh, you were you were put in kind of like a like a garter belt and kind of harnessed off of that a, it was it was a it was a it was like a chastity belt with foam in the crotch mm-hmm. and um, it was made of parachute strapping that they had sewn the foam into and they put rings on it and so when we shot the meat hook scene you had my bare back coming toward the hook and when he turns me around and plops me on the meat hook the strap they brought the strap out with the uh the metal parachute ring you know steel ring that looped over the hook and toby spotted it so you don't see him because he's below and so there's a there's an actually a I posted on Pam's page. Pam, the original Chainsaw Gal, is, is, I made her get her own page. Yeah. And um, I said, you know, they're going to send me all these nasty... Like, one guy said that Pam, he had her decapitated. This guy from France, Elaine, he kept sending me these pictures of Pam decapitated. And, you know, I wrote Pam's story. And, I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm getting more published now because I sold the first 60. And... I, I just haven't gotten around to it, but they sold out like hotcakes. Yeah, I and actually read the, uh, the the first one of that. Uh, I really enjoyed the, the southern drawl that is used in the opening portion of it where, you know, it's it's kind of going into the family and then you right. you go into, you know, Pam inside of the freezer. It's, it, it's, it's fascinating. Well, you need to read part two because part two is very compelling and it's all about her escape so that's in fact that's the one I love is part two and um, but then the third story is about the heart of these so you get the entire background on all how 
how Sally and Jerry met, how Pam and Kirk met, how Franklin fits into it, um, and actually, um, you know, they say that um, Franklin, anyway, I won't go into it, but you need to read part two. Part two is very compelling. I, I really dig that too because it, it kind of goes back to what you were talking about with you and Billy and you guys coming up with more of the story than was on the page and you know you still as an actor being able to interpret your story and coming up with your own backstory as an actor. Uh, I, so I absolutely dug it and I fully intend on reading the rest of it. Yeah and you also will remember the reason is because in the film, the last time you see Pam is when Jerry hears her knocking on the freezer mm-hmm. and pops out of it, and she's very much alive. And when I went to my first convention, people would come up to me and they say, oh, my God, you know, I always wondered what happened to her because the last time you see her, she's alive. And... That, you know, I, I saw a couple of the follow-up chainsaws, and I, I was less than impressed with their storyline. And I just thought, well, why don't they do something where you care about the people, for God's sake, you know? Because every film, you just don't care about any of the people in them. They don't really give you any reason to get attached to the characters. And I love films where I care about the characters, you know? Mm-hmm. And so... That's, now that people have reviewed them, I got rave reviews from all the fans, and they keep saying, "How come they don't ask you to write them?" <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's I'm, definitely I'm happy with what I've done. It, it feels like I don't know if you've ever read any fan fiction, but it, it uh-huh. feels like an a, an extension of an existing story that absolutely pays service to the fans and. You know, anybody that's listening to this should absolutely go out of their way to check it out. Um, can you tell people where they can find it? Yeah, um, they can read the stories for free. I'm getting them published. I, I found a, a new publisher, and he just does beautiful work. And an artist has also... Um, many artists have sent me pictures. So I'm going to be including this one. will have pictures. It'll have beautiful paper. And um, they can order them once I get that. They'll be on Pam's Facebook page. And Pam's Facebook page is Pam, the original Chainsaw Gal. And um, and the stories will be in... I have an album of autographed um, uh, Pam's pictures and magnets. And when I get the stories done, they'll also be in there and I offer the stories, um, and I think I'm going to be able to do it for the same price. I offer a five by seven. There are three of them that they can choose from one of the images. Mm. And then they get um, also a, a, a postcard-sized print of Pam escaping that this artist did for me. And they get the three stories, and I autograph um the 5x7 picture and the book. So they're getting two signatures, the three stories, a 5x7 of Pam, and then the postcard, all for $25.50, including shipping. And, and I'm hoping to do it for the exact same price. 
which is a great price. Well, I also know that you're going to be going to Birmingham uh, for the Birmingham HorrorCon. Uh, are you going to be bringing any of that stuff with you there? I'm hoping to get it done. In fact, I was just going to um, call the or, or contact the uh, publisher, um, the fellow that did the redid the print for me. Um, I wanted a new font and a few changes made to the layout of the of this. Um, and so he just sent me the PDF of it, and so I need to go over it. But I'm going to hope to take it to Birmingham, and then. You know, after Birmingham, um, I'm going to be going to Augsburg to do um, the um, horror show in Augsburg. And I know it very well, but I've forgotten. <laughs> Hold on one second, and I'll tell you exactly what it is. But it's in Augsburg, Germany, and it's going to be on the weekend of the 10th to the 12th. Um, so it's the 10th and 11th, I believe is what it is. Mm. Hang on just one second, and it's um, House of Horrors in Augsburg, Germany. Um, so between those two shows, I'm going to visit with a girlfriend in Warwickshire, mm. which is where Shakespeare's home was. And then I have friends in uh, Belgium, just outside Brussels. And I'm going to go to stay with them in their new home. That's so awesome. I, I'm really excited because, um, you know, get to see good friends for one thing and go to Europe. Wow! Yay! And make money. So, <laughs> you, can't, you can't knock that. You get to see friends, go to different countries, and get paid to do it. I need your job. I know. I, I need know. your job. Well, and the thing is, is that I, rather than having to fly back home after Birmingham, and then, you know, those are long flights. I mean, really, you're flying for 24 hours, pretty much, you yeah. know, by the time you get there. And it's exhausting. So um, it'll be good to be able to spend some time and not have to do that, you know, back and forth over the ocean. Um, and, and, you know, travel around. I, I saw Belgium, uh, in 2013, but it's just beautiful. You know, they have some of the oldest cities in Europe, in Belgium. Mm -hmm. So it's just loaded with great history. All of Europe is. So, um, I'm, I'm a total history freak, you know, so it's really, yay! So I'm planning and I'm planning on packing light. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, aside There's from uh, everywhere. <laughs> aside from Pam, the original chainsaw gal, is there anywhere else on social media that you could be found? Are you on Twitter uh, or Instagram? I am. I am on Twitter, but you know, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a huge Twitter person. I, I'm not I a fan of it either. Yeah, what I do is I have my post from Pam's page automatically go to Twitter. Yeah. And then sometimes I go on Twitter and I, I you know, do um, my own posts with pictures and things. Because when you do that automatic posting from Twitter, I don't know if you know it, but they don't... Um, they you don't, don't get the full the thing, it just says dot, 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 FB, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I have the same thing going on. Yeah, so that's really it. But they can, you know, I'm, I'm pretty active on Pam's page, and I'm very good at 
getting back to people. I don't do any chat, you know, and people are always trying to chat with me. I don't answer. Like I have on my private page, I'm just almost at five thousand right mm-hmm. now, and to be honest, that's plenty. <laughs> it's, it's really um, just plenty, you know. Um, I found out with the election that you know all the politics and things that people can get very nasty <laughs> yes but rants and name calling and you know I'm I told them you know I'm not going to be changing my political views just because you like the movie I did you know <laughs> and or any of my other beliefs and so I put together page guidelines and ever since I put together those page guidelines it's pretty much worked you know nobody nobody gets into rants if they do I delete them or block them. Yeah, and you don't need that in your actual life. You know, when when you're on the PAM page, you know kind of what you're getting into. And when you're just trying to do your, you know, talk about your life and the things that you're interested in, the last thing you need is, oh, what about them short shorts, eh? Yeah, right, right, right. And I, you know, like people will tag me and things all the time. The only thing I post of PAM on my personal public page are that I'm doing this show or that show, promoting, you know, their shows, mm-hmm. or um, maybe something that Pam has posted that I think all of my friends would find interesting. But they're not going to find me too much on a meat hook, you know, just maybe in promos for the banners of the shows. Yeah. All that stuff goes on Pam's page. And, you know, if they tag me in something, it's probably not, if it has Pam stuff on it, like, I'm watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's probably not going to be on that page. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I might share it if it's if it's a public setting to Pam's page. Or I've nabbed stuff for people if they send me pictures of us together. Yeah. And then, you know, I always put the... I have, like, fan albums, you know, so that people, people like to get pictures with us, you know. And so um, we we are all very fan friendly um and so but i'm you know i'm very responsive like john is also very responsive with with people you know mm-hmm. and um but he does all of his stuff on his personal page yeah i just decided man i i like pretty flowers and nice scenes <laughs> it doesn't go with me folks that well <laughs> <laughs> Well, I Terry, I, I am so glad that I was able to have you on. Uh, you know, I know that we were supposed to be shorter than this, but, it, you know, the nature of the beast, I think we uh, covered a lot, and I just, I cannot begin to express to you how thankful I am that you were as giving as you were with your time. This has been a pleasure for well, me. Well, I'm very, very flattered, and I thank you so much for inviting me. I hope your fans enjoy it, and and please come and join me on Pam's page. And um, if they want me to come to their shows, um, they need to talk to their local promoters. Go post on their pages. Because what I say to people, you know, we lost Gunner, we lost Marilyn, you know, we've lost a lot of people. But I tell them, you know, they need to get us now. I said, I feel good. <laughs> I'm very much alive. They need to get us now. (laughs) And I mean that in the best way, Larry. Yeah. (laughs)
And I absolutely agree. And you know, uh, this is this is honestly, and I, I've said it already, but I can't undersell it. Uh, this has been an incredible experience for me, an incredible conversation with you. And I just, you know, for everybody that's listening to this, if you're here for Terry and, you know, you, this is your first episode, but you enjoyed what you heard, uh, please, by all means, feel free to find out more about us by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash creature pod, by following us on Twitter and Instagram at creature pod. Uh, that that's the best way to kind of keep in the know as to what's going on with the show to find out what of the guests that we have coming on and um, you know just kind of see the movies that we're going to be covering so uh, you know, I, again this is a really fucking cool moment for me and I'm absolutely thrilled to have been able to have this conversation but we're going to get out of here so for Terry McMahon and for myself, again, my name is Chunky. This has been another episode of the Creature Features Podcast on GeeksOfTheIndustry.com, Stitcher, and iTunes. Listen with someone you trust. Yeah.